and welcome to Lessons Learned, supported by Airhead, with me, Laura Winter. In this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to star sportsmen and women about the moments, choices, or indeed in hindsight, the mistakes that have formed the backdrop to their greatest victories and their biggest defeats. Because more often than not, a lesson learned the hard way is a lesson learned for a lifetime. We are about to delve into my guests' professional and personal moments, both good and bad. From becoming a parent or winning Olympic gold, to getting divorced or losing a race, there are lessons to be learned in every human experience. So episode four was perhaps one of my favorite chats yet. So many of you could relate to how human, vulnerable and open Becky Adlington was in talking about the highs and lows of swimming, Olympic medals, Twitter trolls, becoming a mum and her sister's illness. It was a remarkably intimate and revealing chat. At Nickfish2000 said, I love her. I'd really like to hang out with her. This is my favorite podcast so far. And at Jennifer W said, I really enjoyed this. So revealing and honest. And I can't believe what people were saying about London 2012. If you haven't yet listened to that one, add it to your queue. For now, settle in. Episode five is here. My guest is a superstar, a natural born athlete and racer. And here she gives us such a privileged insight into the inner workings of an athlete's mind in one of the toughest sports on earth, as well as revealing what makes her tick as a human being too. Just a quick note to say, due to the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, all of these interviews have unfortunately been recorded virtually rather than face-to-face, but we've smoothed the audio out as much as possible. Before we dive into it, I am so pleased to say this podcast is supported by Airhead. The team have created a truly unique pollution mask for people that love getting active and being outside for their physical and mental health. Active travel and wearing a mask has never been so important. And whether you're cycling, running or walking, this mask offers the most advanced protection. Head to www.airhead.cc forward slash lessons learned to join the Airhead community and claim your 43 percent discount when you pre-order. So here we go, sit back and relax and if you like what you hear please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a review as well. I'd love to hear what you think. My guest this episode is the brilliant triathlete Lucy Charles. Despite only taking up triathlon in 2014, just six years ago, Lucy is three-time Ironman World Championship silver medalist and a half Ironman World silver medalist as well. The former elite swimmer who narrowly missed out on selection for London 2012 is also a winner of Challenge Roth, three-time winner of the Challenge Championships and two-time winner of the Ironman African Championships. Away from swim, bike, run life, Lucy has her own personal training business with husband Reese. And when she is not training in her pain cave, she devotes her time to her adorable mini Jack Russell Lola. Lucy, a very warm welcome. Welcome to Lessons Learned. How are you? Hey, Laura. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to chatting to you today, but I'm very well, thank you. Good. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, and you're probably the most prepared guest I've had so far because you <laughs> sent through all of your five moments, choices or mistakes that have led to you to where you are today well in advance with a nice explanation to each one. And I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation because you've had quite the journey within sort of just six years, really, from being a triathlon novice to being a world championship silver medalist three times and in one of the toughest disciplines on earth, the Ironman. Yeah, I think it's it's quite crazy to be honest. And I kind of 
never really get referred to the youngster anymore in Ironman because I've been doing it for six years at quite a young age. Um, I still think I'm probably one of the youngest pros doing Ironman distance. So often they'll have some new person come in and say, oh, the, the youngster on the scene. And I'm like, I'm still four years younger than this person. So um, I feel like I've definitely built up a good amount of experience in that small amount of time. I think I'm on like my 14th long distance. So I've done a lot of miles in this body so far. <laughs> Absolutely. And for those who are watching and indeed listening, of course, to the podcast, if we hear any barks or squeaks, it's because <laughs> Lola is sitting next to you. For those who are watching, can you please just lift her up to the camera? Just mainly for me. <laughs> she's currently like licking my hand. She does this. Like if I'm talking to someone else, she's like, hang on a minute. It should be about you. <laughs> no, I think that's, I've got a Jack Russell Terrier cross thing. I think that's what they do. The, the jealousy is strong in Jack Russell Terriers. The neediness is strong. Uh, she's just so gorgeous though. I hope she chips in at some point. I think the last time me and you spoke, we did an Instagram live, didn't we? And she actually knocked over the camera like two or three times. She did. I'm actually worried about that today because we're sat in front of um, the window and if she hears a noise or a car pull up, she jumps up onto the windowsill. So we may have a kamikaze camera at some point. But I love it. Yeah, Organised chaos. It's going to be great. It'll make for brilliant watching uh, and listening. You'll just hear all sorts of chaos going on. Let's dive into it then. Let's start with your first moment in your life that has shaped who you are today. And that is quitting competitive swimming, which is a huge thing on a very much smaller level I was a swimmer myself a competitive swimmer and I remember vividly even now the moment I decided to quit and it is one of those moments that transforms your life you've gone from being a swimmer who also goes to school and also does things with friends and is also growing up as a teenager to becoming you're not sure it's that moment of going I'm no longer in the pool 20 hours a week for you, what was that moment like? Yeah, I, I'm very much the same. Like I remember that exact moment where it had been building up for a while. I was like, you know what? I just don't think I can do this anymore. And I'd moved around different clubs because I'd had some difficult times with a coach at my old club. And I mean, he was having his own problems, to be honest, and it was rubbing off on all the swimmers. So I decided that wasn't a positive environment for me to be at. So I actually went back to my old club at the time, but was swimming at another club as well. And it was just getting really, really difficult to stay motivated and it, this was in um, 2013 when I just missed out on the 2012 games for the open water the home olympics in london in high park and i kind of went away from that i had a bit of time off and then i was like okay right let's see if we can go super hard all in for four more years to try and make the next olympics and i remember doing one of my best ever swims i was racing up in leeds which was the british champs in 2013 and i did the 1500 meter freestyle and finished fourth overall in the women's which was one of my best ever finished positions it was the quickest time i'd ever swam and I'd swam it perfectly. Like everyone couldn't believe how quick I came back in the last hundred. And I was just like finished and had no buzz. I was like, literally didn't get the normal buzz I get when I finish a race and I've smashed it. So I was like, something isn't right here. And I think I carried on for another month or two. And then I was just like, I can't do this. Like I'm, I'm so done with it. And I remember that the hardest part was not really for me. It was that my parents had dedicated so much time to getting up early, drive me to the pool. I remember I was, I think I may have 
just finished learning to drive at the time. So they wasn't having to do that anymore. But I still knew the amount of years and hours they had had bad night's sleep because they knew they had to get me up early. And it was more, I just felt so sort of upset for them that I was like, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. So it was a really hard time. And obviously, I couldn't ever have imagined what was going to follow that. So yeah, it was very difficult. You're so right about parents, because actually making the decision myself was relatively easy. I knew within my own heart and mind that I was done. Like, like you, I just felt like it was more of a sacrifice now than it was something that I really loved and wanted to do. But actually telling my mum, who had been poolside for years and up at 5.30 with me, taking me to swimming for years and years, it would become as much a part of her life as it was my life. That was actually the hardest moment. What impact did it have on your family and your wider family as well? Yeah, so actually the hardest part of all of it was I pretty much came home from swimming told my mum and dad you know what I I'm done with this I, I just can't do it anymore and obviously they they supported it but I knew they were really really upset and I actually remember that night I didn't stay with my mum and dad I, I went and stayed with Reese's parents because I just wanted to be out of the house and then the next morning my mum called to say that her mum my nan had passed away of a heart attack which was a complete shock to all of us. And she honestly was like my biggest fan. She, when I'd race, she, she didn't care who I was racing against. And obviously when I missed out on the Olympics, she was like, why haven't they picked Lucy? But Lucy's the best. And like, I was always the best in her eyes and she would want to come to every competition and see me race. So that was really, really strange that it happened because I remember thinking, God, she's going to be the hardest person to tell that I'm not going to be doing this swimming anymore, which she obviously loved me doing. And then obviously I didn't have to tell her but it was the biggest shock to our whole family that she obviously passed away and yeah it was it was a, it made the time even harder because then it was just even harder on my mum because it was such a difficult time and I remember like telling my sister because my mum was so upset that she couldn't so it really was a, a really difficult time and again like now if my nan had been here I think she would have been a complete nightmare with everything I've achieved because she'd be like I'm coming to Hawaii and she'd be she'd be there all the time and telling people that her granddaughter so I'm sure she's looking down on me now and is very very proud. Oh, absolutely. And also it went from watching you race for 10, 15 minutes to watching you race for eight, nine hours, which is just crazy, isn't it? That you'd have to have been on the edge of her seat for that long. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, now my granddad has well and truly taken on the role of my super fan, for sure. He's been oh. to Hawaii the last two years. He, he came the first time on his 80th year. He was like, I want to come to Hawaii. I've been once and I loved it. So he came and he's actually got quite a reputation on the island everyone knows him as Lucy's granddad and he uh, he's very very cool he can cope with the eight nine hours that I'm out there racing I don't know how he does it but um yeah he definitely absolutely loves it I think post swimming post any sport no matter what level you're doing it at there's this void we talked about I've talked about it to other athletes of well who've since retired what did you do to fill that void and did you find that you know you also had the void from yes losing competitive sport losing a family member as well so much to deal with at once what was your strategy to kind of get through that um so my parents pretty much said you know what you probably need to go and get a job because I'd never had a job since being a swimmer it pretty much takes up your whole life so um I pretty much went straight into working and I actually worked 
at a local zoo, which funnily enough was a zoo where my parents had their wedding reception. So I've been there quite a lot of times as a kid and it's very local to where I live. So I ended up working in the marketing department at the zoo. Obviously, anyone who knows me knows I love animals, but I'd always been quite tech savvy um, into marketing and I was more doing like their blog, their social media side of things. So I, I did really enjoy the job, but I definitely missed um, the sporting side of my life. So whilst I was there, I was also training to be a personal trainer. And then after working there for about a year, Reese and I decided that we could set up our own business. <laughs> Hello, Lola. <laughs> and um, we set up the business basically in what is our pain cave now. So at Reese's parents' house, they have a little outbuilding there. So we decided to set up our own business, which was very slow to start with as any new businesses. And I pretty much was leafleting nonstop for about nine months, every house nearby, walking around, leafleting to let them know about the business. So it really was kind of from going in the swimmer bubble to, wow, I'm in the real world now and I, I need to make a living and I need to learn all of these things that you kind of, you know, are going on in the world, but they've never had to play a real part in your life. So it, it's very scary. And I've seen multiple swimmer and athlete stories of where they've they've given up their sport and then they're kind of thrust into the real world which is quite a scary place when you've been in the safety of your sport bubble you know everything about your sport you know how to train how to peak for competition but actually some of that can be put into business but a lot of it is completely different it's a really scary transition I think from the world of swimming and indeed the world of school and those safe institutions to suddenly be thrust into a world where you don't have that instant support network around you and you've got to actually build it yourself this was another moment you mentioned um, to me before we started chatting that setting up this PT business that was April 2014 wasn't it that was one of your key moments in life yeah it definitely was and it was kind of that real stepping stone into I guess the real world adult life taking control of my own destiny and and trying to set up a business with Reese, who I'd known for probably about two or three years at the time. And we knew that we were both super into sport. Reese was doing his sports science degree at the time. We both signed up for an Ironman. So we were thinking, actually, this is quite a good way for us to train for this first Ironman and also get some income, work with um, other clients from nearby. So we really did have a huge range of clients, which, as I said, I pretty much was just, I remember one winter, it must have been 2014, like December time, just leafleting houses non-stop that literally the back of my hand was getting bruised from going through letterboxes so it was it was serious hard work to get these clients but we was actually so lucky because I think between us we probably had about 10 clients each but all of them were just such lovely people and interested in what we were doing um, what we were training for so we built up a really nice relationship with all of these clients and yeah I mean it definitely was super hard at times because we'd be up early training and trying to cram in another session before your next client comes in and then maybe working to 10 o'clock at night and then you've got to be up the next morning for swim squad that we'd started again to help our triathlon training so it it really was like if I look back now I think I don't know how I did that I don't know how I trained for this first Ironman and how I managed to be so cheery and upbeat with all these clients um I just don't know how we did it but we obviously did (laughs) but it was a hard time that conscientious swimmer work ethic can definitely 
transcend from the pool and into real life. And I think when you do run your own business, the hustle is strong. You can't ever kind of take that time off and you will often be working all hours of the day because if you're not, the business isn't going forward. Nothing's happening within it. Just talk about Reese for a minute because obviously you set up a business with him having known him for sort of two, three years. How did you guys meet? Um, and I guess, how did you know that he was the one? <laughs> yeah, so we met, I think it must have been back in 2011, the end of 2011 when I think he'd come back to the swim squad. He was at the University of Hertfordshire where our swim squad was. We were both part of the elite squads. And you kind of, as swimmers, I guess, you don't get much time to talk between doing reps. And Reese was actually a, sp- a sprint swimmer and I was a distance swimmer. So we were rarely in the same lane, but I think we... We were just talking probably at one of the competitions when you actually get more time between races to chat and we just seemed to get on really, really well. And actually, Reese was living basically at the university. So often I would stay because it meant I didn't have to drive all the way back home to get up again in the morning. So yeah, we just we just seem to be we are very, very similar people in our work ethic. I think we're both workaholics. We just don't stop. But then we also are quite different in ways as well, which seems to work quite well because we we bounce well off each other with different ideas. And definitely as we've progressed and we're kind of working together with training programs and Reese being my coach, it all just seems to work pretty well because we tend to agree, but we also are very good at debating things as well and getting the best outcome. Because that's the thing, he's not just your business partner, your now husband, he's also your coach as well. Your lives are so completely entwined. Have there been any moments where you've thought, God, is this actually a good idea? Or for you guys, does it just seem right? Yeah, I think we've always kind of been joint at the hip, to be honest. Like, probably in the like nine years we've been together, we probably haven't spent more than maybe four or five weeks apart over that whole time. So we are very used to being together. And I think we don't actually function that well if we're not together. We've kind of noticed that when I've gone away and raced on my own, and maybe he's gone away and raced on his own when actually it can be quite difficult when we go and do a race together. But often I'll be thinking about slightly different things to race. So things that he may forget I will remember and things that I often forget he remembers so it means that we're on the start line and we haven't forgotten anything I do remember Reese going and doing an Ironman for the first time when I wasn't there and he'd been chatting to someone in transition and forgot to put all of his nutrition on his bike which is probably one of the things that if I'd been there I would have been like right have you got this have you done this which we often do together we go through the checklist together and we're like okay yeah we're all sorted so and I've been the same like I I went and raced a couple of times and Reese hasn't been there and it's just he almost is like the safety blanket that's there and if he's not there I'm questioning everything like have I done this and I usually have but I just question everything more if he's not there um just to check with so definitely it does work it's probably really abnormal to most couples to spend that much time together but for us it just seems to work it's as though your strengths are his weaknesses and and vice versa so you make the perfect team (laughs) I think so Before we dive further into Lucy Charles's flourishing career, I wanted to chat about my sponsor, Airhead, a revolutionary new anti-pollution mask, which you can now pre-order via Indiegogo and get a whopping 43% off the retail price. 
head to www.airhead.cc forward slash lessons learned now. I believe strongly in active travel and protecting our environment, and I'm excited to have support for this podcast from them. The founders are all keen cyclists, much like myself, and while commuting in the city, they soon realised the existing mask market proved hot, uncomfortable, embarrassing to wear, and in some cases, ineffective. They quit their corporate jobs and joined forces with a team of expert designers at Brunel University to make radical improvements to pollution masks. It is estimated there are 64,000 deaths in the UK due to air pollution, and exposure to dirty air is also proven to negatively impact sports performance. With masks now commonplace, why not wear one that will also protect against air pollution? Um, You mentioned signing up for your first Ironman when you were setting up the PT business and training and trying to run your new business and adapt to adult real life. Talk me through that moment because, God, that is one that has very much shaped your life, the, the decision to go in to long distance triathlon. Yeah, so we actually went and swam at the Great Scottish Swim, which I think was in August 2013. So I hadn't done much swimming. I pretty much stopped swimming in May 2013 and then had a few months where I wasn't really doing a lot of all but I thought you know what I can probably still go and do this swim and I'll probably do fine and I convinced Reese to do it as well um, and actually for Reese being like a 50 100 200 meter swimmer to go and do this mile swim it was quite a step up for him and to be fair he actually did do really well and so often I tell this story and I say oh we both had a terrible swim and Reese was like actually had a pretty good swim and I was like oh yeah sorry I brought you into my bad performance so I had a terrible swim I, I don't even know where I finished I definitely finished but I don't remember doing particularly well so Reese and I went back to the hotel and we decided to sign up for an Ironman there and then it was really spare of the moment thing and um, we were like we'll do Ironman UK next year in July which will give us about 11 months to train for the event we didn't really know what we were signing up for to be honest like we um we looked up the distances and we're like, yeah, that'll be fine. We've both got a mountain bike. We can do it and soon learn what we've signed up for. But I just remember going down to the foyer in the hotel where all the other elite swimmers were and telling them, right, we're doing an Ironman now. That's, that's what we're training for. Yeah, we've been planning this for ages. Like, that's what we're doing. And all of them were like, oh, wow, that sounds really, really cool. Yeah, it just really was like a spur in the moment thing. And the steep learning curve that followed was something that's definitely shaped us and well yeah led to this career that we're having but neither of us knew it was coming to be honest how much time had you spent on the bike and on running because in my experience swimmers don't often make the best runners I feel that we're not so good at moving on land and certainly the impact of running as well going from a sport where your your body is entirely supported by water to going into running where the impact is so high has often been an issue as well yeah I think I mean I was very lucky as a child because my parents always had us being active so we had mountain bikes and we'd always kind of maybe on the weekend gone for like a family ride or something so I knew how to ride a bike but I'd never really ridden definitely not a TT bike I think at one stage I did have a road bike but it hadn't done a lot of um, time outside the garage running I had always ran for school because I always got roped into doing the cross country and the long distance 1500 meter on the track because no one else would do it so I think I was quite lucky because I'd experimented with a few other sports um, at secondary school I did like the high jump the long jump and stuff so that helped me a little bit but my body 
compared to the amount of time spent in water, really hadn't spent as much time on land. So my body definitely wasn't used to the amount of running, cycling that was going to be required to, to do a full distance. Well, that's just it, isn't it? The volume of training involved as well. Being a distance swimmer, there's, there's huge amounts of volume. And Reese, being a sprinter, he'll be off doing his sort of 450s or 750s <laughs> or something. And you're there doing 10, 400, slogging away. And they're doing starts and turns practice or whatever. So it's always, it's always a slog being a distance swimmer. But to add to that, the mileage involved in the cycling and the run, how did your body adjust? And certainly for those listening who may be considering um, an Ironman distance triathlon, how did your body adjust? just to that ramp up in volume yeah so to begin with it actually fared quite well I was like yep this is fine I'm doing pretty well I remember getting most of my soreness would definitely come from running so initially I would get quite a lot of shin splints um just tightness in the muscles that hadn't really been worked in that way before cycling was actually fine I don't remember having really any real afterburn I just remember constantly falling off at traffic lights because I've never clipped into pedals so that was entertaining to the whole group (laughs) because they were like she's such a good athlete in the pool but she cannot ride a bike so I also remember going and doing like my first ever FTP test and I think for 20 minutes I averaged about 180 watts which now I can add more than 100 watts to that FTP in six years so I remember that and thinking Jesus Christ this is not a good number but it's a starting point and then from that I think I worked out that I would ride my first Ironman in Bolton at about 160 watts and that should safely get me round and I had like an alarm I remember on my bike computer that if I went above that we need to calm it down so yeah definitely my body it took a while to adapt I definitely had a few injuries my major injury which I think is my next moment that I go into was that I basically at the end of 2015 I won my age group in Kona and then had a pretty good uh, winter of training and then in 2016 I had a stress fracture in my left tibia, which was pretty extensive one. At the time, it was my first major injury. I didn't really know what it was. So I did the typical swimmer thing and just plowed on. They will just keep going. It'll be fine. Yeah, it got pretty bad, to be honest. It was uh, not a great injury. So how much pain were you in when you were training? Yeah, so training was probably the worst pain I'd experienced. I remember it hurting pretty much on all disciplines. Like if I pushed off the wall in the pool, I was like, oh, that doesn't feel great. Cycling wasn't too bad. And then running was obviously the worst. It was the most impact. And at the time I went and saw a lot of different physios. It was misdiagnosed just as shin shin splints. And I was like, oh, I can deal with that. I've had that before. Um, a little bit of rest, a bit of ice should be fine. And it never really went away at all. The pain was just getting worse and worse. And I had an Ironman distance race. Um, it was going to be my first pro race in Lanzarote. And I was on the start line for that race. I knew it was pretty bad. I knew that I'd done as much running as I could, but it had been painful. And actually, I was having a great race there, debut pro race, led for the whole swim, led for the whole bike, and then started the run in the lead. And actually, I remember barely even feeling it in the race. I must have had so much adrenaline that I just couldn't even feel the pain. So I had a pretty decent marathon. I think I ran a 318, which 
was pretty good going. I think it was the quickest marathon I'd done in an Ironman. And then it wasn't until I finished that the pain was just horrendous. I was like, this is really, really bad. And then I pretty much had about three weeks before I was going to be doing a half distance in Staffordshire in the UK. Again, it was only going to be my debut 70.3 as a pro. I wanted to have a good race. And I remember it being a really horrible wet day, which often is in the UK. Had a really good swim. I got caught on the bike and I think I was in about fifth place off the bike. Ran myself up into fourth place. But I remember the pain on that run being so bad that I was like, even deciding this on the run, I was like, I'm not doing another race this year. I need to go and get a proper scan on my leg. I need to see what this is because it's so bad. And then pretty much following that race, I just paid to go and have a scan straight away. I wanted to see what it was. Um, And the consultant at the time said, if you run one more race on this leg, I highly believe it will just snap when you're running. So um, I was like, oh God, this is really bad. Um, Obviously as a swimmer, I'd had, only minor injuries so this was a real big injury that I've never experienced before so I pretty much ended up being in a moon boot for I think it was at least six to eight weeks so I remember personal training going in in my moon boot them all asking what I've done and I was like yeah I've pretty much completely buggered my leg up the mileage um far too quickly and obviously done a pretty bad break in the bone and I'm going to be out for a while. So I think actually for the rest of 2016, I couldn't race. So that was June. I didn't race for the rest of the year. And I don't actually think my next race was until about February in 2017. So by that point, I'd had a big break from racing and I'd learned a massive lesson that you have to listen to your body. I can't get injuries like this again. I can't afford to take six months out of racing if I want to be a pro athlete. I need to eat better. Um, I need to listen to Reese more and actually get him to set me a full program, not just let me go off and maybe one week I run 20k, the next I'm running 70k. We need to be far more consistent. So I think it was pretty much from that point that I said, Reese, I want you to be my full time coach. I want you to look after my program. I promise I'm going to listen. And I think that that will be a much more successful way to go. And from that point as well, you started seriously winning that's when a lot of your we saw your world medal world medals come in we saw the wins at um, challenge championships Ironman Africa was there a point though in that six months layoff you had with injury where you felt I won't race again this is me done uh, career over yeah actually um Reese and I went out to Phuket And we trained out there in November 2016. And I think that was a lot more my decision than Reese's. And it pretty much was because I was so sick of being at home and being injured that I wanted to go off somewhere completely new, try something completely different. And I remember we got there and my stress fracture had healed, but I then got another injury in my hip on the other side, which was where I'd obviously reintroduced running maybe a tiny bit too quickly. And that had been a subsequent injury. So we didn't stay there for very long. I think we were there for about 10 days. We were due to be there for a few months. Um, We both didn't really like it. We're quite used to city life in London. So we came back home and I managed to sort that injury and managed to actually put in a really solid block of training in the winter but I do remember thinking at the time that I may be just a pro that always maybe just scrapes the top 10 just about gets the bottom end of the prize money every time and maybe it's going to be too big a jump
jump to make podiums and actually be racing these top girls who are doing phenomenal things on the full distance. And my first pro race back was the 70.3 in Dubai, where I had a pretty good race, although I kind of swam a bit off course on the tree. He knew that I'd done something wrong on that swim. He was like, that's not her level of swim. So had an okay bike and then I finished 10th. So I was like, okay, I've made the top 10. I can bring home a bit of prize money. Um, And I kind of thought that's how my year would go. But actually 2017 was definitely my breakthrough year. Um, After that race, which was February time, my next race I wanted to do was a 70.3 or a half distance in Lisbon. Lisbon is a bit of a sharpen up, see where I'm at. And that ended up being my first pro win, which I remember probably... I've, I've been emotional at World Champs, but that was my most emotional win because I was like, I just couldn't believe it that I'd gone and won a race. Um, and that just kicked off the year, really. I went on to win Ironman Lanzarote after that. I think it was like a, a week or two later, I went on to win the Challenge Championships, which was one of my favourite wins because I remember... A couple of days before the race, someone saying to me, well, you'll probably be able to have a good swim and bike, but it's going to really hit you on the run. You've got that Ironman in your legs. And actually the run was my best part of the race because I'd woke up in the morning and I had a really bad stomach bug. I was so ill that I remember calling my mum and saying, look, I don't know one, if I'm going to get on the start line or two, if I'm going to finish. So if you see me drop off of the tracker, I'm fine. Nothing terrible has happened. I just decided that I'm not well enough to race. Um, So actually I did my usual. I had a good swim. I got into T1 though and I didn't feel great. I thought, should I pull the pin now? And then I thought, no, we'll get on the bike. You'll be sat down. It might be okay. Ended up, I think, dropping back to fourth or fifth place on the bike. And then when I got off the bike, I was like, "Mm, I actually feel a bit better now. Like, I feel like I can probably stick with this run. And I ended up running my way to the win um, from about fifth place throughout the half marathon. And it was in the last kilometre that I overtook um, second and third place and and managed to get the win. So that was probably one of my favourite ever wins because... I felt terrible. I proved someone wrong who was like, you're never going to win this because you've done an Ironman. And it just gave me so much confidence um, to then go on. And then my next race was going to be the Ironman European Champs in Frankfurt, where I managed to finish second, which was enough to get me the points to qualify for Kona. Then I went away and just did a solid eight weeks of training in Lanzarote at Club La Santa. Reese had set me out like a really solid eight-week program. But actually, unfortunately, when we were there, I got another injury in my hip which basically meant I couldn't run for eight weeks and had to do everything else. So I was basically doing tons of strength and conditioning, using a cross trainer, doing a bit of aqua jogging. And I remember thinking, oh, we're going to go to the world champs. And whilst I'm pretty much an unknown anyway, so there's no pressure, I would be really happy to scrape the top 10 because I just hadn't done pure running. And I was pretty lucky, actually, that by the time we got there and I'd probably tapered for two weeks, my hip just felt quite a lot better. But there was absolutely no way I would have dreamed of finishing second in that 
in that first uh, World Championships as a pro. So 2017 was just a crazy year, which obviously everything has kind of followed that. But yeah, I couldn't have predicted how that year would go. Our bodies are, are capable of so much more than perhaps our, our brains give them credit for. You, you know, multiple times there you're saying, I don't think I was, you know, I didn't think I was going to complete the race. I didn't think I was going to start the race. And actually you went around and got yourself podiums and the first podiums in your pro career. Um, your fifth moment is very appropriate because she's sitting right next to you. It's getting Lola <laughs> the dog, but it's connected to podium finishes, isn't it? Yeah, so since Reese and I met, we always knew we wanted to get a dog. We've been, we've had dogs in the family. We're massive animal lovers, but particularly dogs. And the obsession with dogs had just got more and more and more to the point where I'd be like running and see a dog and want to stop. And be like, oh my God, it's a dog. And Reese would just be like, oh God, here we go. So he was like, okay, I think we can get our own dog, but we're going to set it around Kona. So if I won the race, was like, we can get two dogs. If I come second, we can get one dog. And if I come third, we're not going to get a dog. Um, and so there's quite a lot laying on this. This is so uh, much. And um, leading into the race, I was looking at all different breeders and I'd eventually found Lola and it was Lola and her sister. And I was like, okay, if I win, I want these two. If I come second, I'll get one of them. And obviously if I come third, then we won't be getting any, any of them. And so the race in Kona, I pretty much was having one of my best ever races. I'd said all along that I was just going to roll the dice in that race and see what happens. I was going to go all in. So I did my usual, had a great swim, led for the whole bike. And towards the end of the bike, just felt absolutely amazing that I was just ramping it up and up and up. And then I hit the run and literally, actually, as soon as I put my shoe on in T2, my calf cramped and I was like, oh God, this isn't great. And I remember starting the run and my legs were just cramping straight away. And I was like, right, we'll just get the nutrition on board and we maybe have to fix this. We'll keep it really steady to begin with. I think I had like a 12 minute lead over the next girl. So it's like, we've got time in the bag to just get the nutrition on board. And actually I managed to get rid of the cramp for quite a while. I think about two or three K in, I was like, okay, I've gotten the nutrition in, we've solved this and managed to run for the next 10 miles feeling okay and then that was when I got caught and went into second place so I'd led for about seven and a half hours of the race and then got caught which was so tough because I I thought this could be the day where I get the win and I knew the girl the German Annie Howe when she caught me I knew that there was no pulling that back she's just a phenomenal runner like her build is just runner like she is just built to run so I was like okay well that's probably gone we'll try and hang on to her but seems unlikely that I'll be able to do it and then I remember making the turn in the energy lab where you can see where the rest of the girls are and I remember seeing um the Aussie Sarah Crowley not too far behind and thinking oh god I really don't want you to catch me um made it all the way back out onto the Queen K I think we had about two and a half maybe three miles to go and Sarah comes past she goes past me I remember my calf cramping again and I'm kind of doing this funny limp to keep running and then maybe like 500 meters up the road Reese was there and he was shouting she looks like she's fading you look way stronger than her like you've got to push on now you can do this and I remember thinking 
I don't want to come third. I need to hang on to at least my silver medal that I've had the past two years. So I just dug in with probably a mile and a half to go and just didn't look back. And a lot of that was for Lola, to be honest. I was like, I really want this dog. And a lot of it was because obviously I'd come second the previous two years and I was like, at least hold on to that position. And I remember Reese telling the story where he was obviously out on the course and he needed to make his way back to the finish line to see me finish. And he had to go a, a really funny way to get there and he had a rucksack on and he was running and the last time he'd seen me, I was in third. And when he got to the finish line, he saw Sarah finish and he was like, well, where's Lucy? Um, is she coming soon? And then he was told, no, Lucy's already finished. And I think I was like laying down somewhere. And he just was like, how did she manage to get that second place? Um, and yeah, so I'd actually beat him to the finish line. But um, yeah, and I, I don't know what one of the first things I said to Reese was, but probably was about the dog. <laughs> I remember. But, um, yeah. I love it. Racing purely for Lola. I got goosebumps then when you talked about... Um, Reese shouting for you because there's nothing like the closing stages of a race and kind of what goes through an athlete's mind in those moments and it's such a privilege I think to hear athletes talk about what actually happens in their minds when they're absolutely on the limit they're in the red they're past the red and their bodies are just in autopilot it's always for me such a privilege to hear obviously we want you to get another dog Lola <laughs> needs a sister or a brother how are we going to win the world championships how does Lucy Charles see herself getting up onto that elusive top step of the podium yeah, so I think um, the key thing with my running, actually, and I think that's the place where I'll make the biggest difference, is the running that I can do in training, we have never seen in a race. Like, we did some amazing run sessions leading into Kona, which gave me so much confidence of what kind of times I could run off the bike. And I think if we can actually deliver that in a race, then it's just going to be a whole new Lucy Charles in the Ironman but the other thing as well is the way that I rode the bike in Kona I had never really practiced and I wasn't meant to ride it like that I just had this like second or third wind at the end of the bike where I just ramped it up and up and up which I wouldn't normally do and I think actually if I want to do something in a race I just need to practice it in training but I guess because I went completely off the game plan we never had planned to do that so I'd never done it in training but I think obviously I'm still young in the sport and I feel like I'm improving every single year but if we can just keep building on what we're doing and actually if I could swim bike how I did um, in 2019 and then run how I know I can run I don't think that many people can compete with that so hopefully when we next get to go to Kona I will be able to pull off that win we may have two chances next year so we may have February and October but no one knows what's going on in the world at the moment so we just keep working until we get that finalized date to hopefully go and get the win there does Reese know it'll be a dog for each then one for February one for October <laughs> I think I might get that in writing now. <laughs> yeah, do. Or you could have two. I mean, it should really be three for a win, shouldn't it? You can start sort of 101 Dalmatians style. <laughs> puppy farm or something like just I thought, yeah. acres of space for dogs I think that will be my retirement plan will be like a puppy shelter rescuing oh. dogs yeah be amazing we'll have just hundreds of them in the backyard <laughs> that's such a dream uh, well who knows what will happen but 2021 certainly god I really hope we see you um 
take the win finally at the World Championships because three second places, I know, God, it's a huge privilege and Ironman is such a tough discipline that actually even to get on the podium, even to finish sometimes is an achievement in itself. But for you now with three silver medals, it must be an incredibly strong urge to get the win. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people, like I don't just want to be seen as that second place athlete every single year. And actually the amount I've had to improve each year to still get the silver medal has been huge. So I'm obviously proud of every one of those performances, but I'm not someone who goes into a race to come second. I always go in to try and get the win. So until I have won that race, I'm not really willing to set goals outside of that space. So um, yeah, we're just going to keep working towards it um, I know we're gonna do it but yeah it's just a question of when <laughs> I have every faith you will as well uh, Lucy thank you so much for talking through your moments from quitting swimming uh, also working in a zoo which I just love it's such a random <laughs> fact about you and I, I've always loved that and obviously signing up for your first Ironman right through to three world silver medals and Lola the dog <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's been an epic journey. It's been fun to relive it as well. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on, Lucy. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Laura. Big thank you to Lucy Charles and, of course, Lola for a wonderful chat. It is always fascinating to hear the journey an athlete goes on, especially in one of the toughest endurance sports on the planet. I have no doubt we will see Lucy crowned world champion in her already glittering career. So that's it for episode five. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, hit subscribe, leave a review and get in touch on social media as well at Laura C. Winter on Twitter and Instagram. Plus, if you think your friends or family might enjoy this, do share amongst them too. I'll be back next episode with Olympic champion hockey captain Alex Danson, who has an inspiring story to tell. See you then.